0: Okay, um, uh, where are we at? We're in Hebrews, uh, the book of Hebrews. We started that last week, moving through the entire book. If you have a Red Pew Bible, we'll be on page 1184, beginning in chapter two. Last week we did 14 verses. This week we're only doing four verses. And next week we're doing, I don't know, a lot more than that. So um, as you're flipping there. Let me read through our text this morning. This is the word of the Lord, beginning in chapter 2, verse 1. We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For if the message spoken by angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape If we ignore such a great salvation. The salvation which was first announced by the Lord was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit. Distributed according to his will. There's a word of the Lord. So... um, to kind of give an understanding of what the thrust of this paragraph is, uh, a few months ago I was out pretending to do something in my garage that I thought I knew how was, what I was doing. And I heard, um, there's a car I saw that kind of pulled a little bit down from us on the street. We live on a busy street. And, um, and so the hood was up. And, you know, that happens a lot where we live. So I'm always like the guy out pretending to know how to fix somebody's car, which, you know, But this time, like, they parked quickly, and then I heard these, like, painful, terror-filled screams, like somebody was dying or something. It was, was so I run over, and if you know anything about cars, you'll be shocked, you know. So, um, I don't know, I forgot why it drove them to do this, but the person got out of the car, um, something was happening, they decided, as the car was hot and running, to open up the cap on the radiator, which is like a mini explosion of a boiling hot chemical right in your face. Miraculously, this person was fine. I have no clue how. But I walked over and I saw him just covering his face and saw what happened. I was like, did you not see the 20 warning stickers? Do not open. Do not open. You will be burned, you know. And he was fine. He got a hard lesson in how a car works that morning. But that's kind of what's happening here. We have a warning sticker in this book right now. A little warning sticker. And so we're going to work through what this warning is. Um, verse 1, let's begin here. There's, there's a couple of warning stickers throughout this book. I don't know how many off my top of my head, but throughout, he kind of slaps another warning sticker on, you know, the kind of way to help guide us. And so here's the first one in this book. Verse 1 begins, he says, We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. Well, what have we heard so far? If you missed last week, please listen to that sermon. Uh, we heard all about Jesus. All about Jesus, how he, he is the, the supreme one, far greater than angels. How Jesus, when he came to earth, that he um, is and he was God's final word in human history. His final revealing of himself was Jesus Christ, who now sits at the right hand of God in all power and authority. That was what all of last week was about. And as he mentions um, paying attention, uh, I I struggle with paying careful attention. Uh, Whenever I have instructions to build something like a bookshelf or something, you know, I love to skim them because I've built 20 store-bought bookshelves in my life. I know what I'm doing, right? Until you have the missing leftover pieces and it's upright, but it's leaning. You're like, oh man, I gotta start over. Happened anybody before? Just me, huh? Okay, I don't pay careful attention often, right? And he's saying we we, we need to pay careful attention to about something much more crucial than Ikea bookshelf instructions, right? Following Jesus, I want you to hear this out. Following Jesus is life for us. It's everything. Like when he calls us to follow him, he, he, he calls all of us, our, our thirsts, our desires, our affections, our actions, our emotions, our mind. It's not just an internal decision to follow Jesus. It's a, it's a lifelong one that, that bleeds out into our very life and every sphere of our life. And the reality is, following Jesus, it takes intentional, thoughtful hard work the following the life of following Jesus is not a passive life like it doesn't just happen right it doesn't just kind of happen you have to work at it and of course the Holy Spirit is here to help you the whole idea of Jesus taking the wheel it's not that simple right he he says I'll I'll take some of the wheel but I need your hand too to jump on that wheel right I'm not going to do this for you He did our salvation for us, but as we follow him, he says, I need your hand on that wheel too, right? Your heart, and this is something about human nature that you need to understand, your heart is anything but passive. We are enormously complex. Creatures. One uh, of well, my favorite uh, writers, Quaker Thomas Kelly, he says, Well, then your heart is just full of, of, of emotions, of, of formative stories that have shaped who you are, of your own desires and hungers and appetites. He said, These things are as deep and as wide as the very world itself. The ancients knew this. Uh, ancient you know, thinkers. Um, they they had ways of trying to describe these complexities, and one helpful one I have I have thought about a lot in life is um, one way the ancient Greeks looked at it was that we're we're kind of like of, of three parts within us the the rational part think of your brain your your heart think of like your passions and this the spiritedness in your life and also your stomach which is more of your impulses right? Um, Like when you go to the coffee shops, they don't hide the pastries underneath the counter and say, oh, do you want a bagel? They show you the bagel through a really clean, clear glass. So you're like, I came for a coffee, but now I want a bagel, right? And they call that impulse buys, if you've worked at a coffee shop before, because they're trying to, you know, aim at your stomach at that point. There's that side of us, too. But think about all the complexities, and this is kind of how decision-making is for so many of us, right? You're, I don't know, you're you're at a store or something, and, you know, you see something you want. For me, like, I'm I'm a musician, so you just don't go to Guitar Center for fun. It's dangerous. It's dangerous stuff. Like, you see a guitar, and you're like, I've always wanted a Fender Jazz, American-made, deluxe. I had a Mexican one when I was a kid. One made it outside of the shores of America, but now I have an American one. I've always wanted. And then that's the impulse in me. That's my stomach, right? That, pie, that That's what the Greeks would say. That's, that's your appetitive side, your impulse. And then your heart's like, yeah, I'm so passionate about music. You know, I want to create music, even though I'm not like a professional musician. But it's like, I, I, I want this. I've always wanted this. You know, that's great. And then your mind says, if you go home with this, your wife is going to say, drive back and return that, and then you can come home. That's your rational side, right? And there's a war that happens, right? There's a war that happens within us. And that can happen with things like that, or even worse, with... The bigger decisions, right? They can really derail your life when those feelings of lust comes in, right? There's opportunity to even act or engage someone who is not your spouse on a way that you know you shouldn't as your impulses are gonna give in, right? And there's that war within us. We're complex creatures. Proverbs 3, 1 through 4 speaks into this. It says, My son, do not forget my teaching. Let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Deuteronomy 6 even goes through a longer list. It says, Love the Lord your God. Right? It says, Remember this by this is my summary teach them to your children when you stand up and when you sit down when you're sitting around the house when you're walking down the street when you're laying down when you're rising up you should stamp um, your hands with a reminder put something in between your side, under your eyes put something in your doorpost it's like okay that's a lot but it's like that's what we need though like we need the constant reminders because we are so complex there's a lot going on in us And Deuteronomy 6 says, man, slap that reminder everywhere you can so it can just guide you throughout your life to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. If you live passively, you will be carried along by whatever strongest impulse you have. Right, or if you're a more a reasonable person, but whatever faulty mathematical equation that you make you justify doing something you know you shouldn't. If you live life passively, you'll be carried along by what the Bible calls your flesh. Your flesh. But when we know the way of Christ and the Holy Spirit was within us and He speaks to us, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have that that voice that speaks. Right, that comes up in those moments that says, "Look, if." You you can walk away from this, and I'm here, and I'm going to help you and empower you to do so. You need to take that first step. Let's go. Let's go. You can't live life passively, friends. And this verse ends, it says, um, uh, pay careful attention. Don't be passive, right, to these things. Don't be passive to Jesus and his salvation that he's offered to you, that you've received, so that we do not drift away. Um, uh, you know, if you've been to the beach before, right, and you're out in the ocean and your, your, your chair's here on the beach and you're right in front of your chair and the waves are splashing you around and wait 10 minutes, wait 15, whatever, and you're out in the ocean. Um, what? Where's that chair? Far away. Far away. Did you realize that, right? No, you, you just like slowly kind of did this number. And it's, that's the worst thing if you're a parent where you look up like, where are my kids? Where are my kids? Where are my kids? And they're like way down there. They're like, but they didn't know, right? Because they drifted away. This word is a nautical word. Like it's a word that was used um, about, you know, f- from people who were on ship and shipmates and captains and etc. cetera, um, used in the ancient world. That, you know, the, the drift, it's unintentional, right? I mean, there are the intentional sins that says, I'm just going to do this. But there's things that happen that, again, if we're passive, you're just kind of like carried along, Right? And before you know it, whatever X amount of time later, you're like, oh, how did I get here? How did this addiction develop in my life? How did I slap these chains on my wrist? Like, how did this happen? You drifted. You weren't paying careful attention. You slowly drifted away. Um, uh, there's uh, 2 Corinthians uh, 10 verse 5, or 4 through 6 It kind of speaks into this. Uh, This is from the Apostle Paul. He says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish strong arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready To punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete from him. But consider that idea. Every thought. It's like, really, Paul? Like, try to keep a notepad and mark down how many thoughts you have throughout the day. Right? That's a lot. There's a lot going on in your brain, right? He says, Now every thought take captive. That's hard work. That sounds exhausting. But Paul, you know, he's not literally saying take a journal, and just analyze every single thought. It's like chipmark Jesus, chipmark Christ, chipmark like... He's saying, like, everything depends, like, everything that's going on in your heart, mind, soul, like it has to be centered around Christ. You have to, all those things need to be captive to Him, need to be chained to Jesus. And if they aren't, they're going to be floated, you know, drifted away by whatever your flesh is yearning after. There are real strongholds in our life when those strongholds can take root. And we, we they're called strongholds in multiple kind of different ways in Scripture because there's power in those things where they aren't are not just, you know, some bad habit you developed or just some kind of wicked thought that maybe came into your mind that you kind of gave into slowly. Like there are spiritual entities and powers at work in your life all around you, right? And that's what Paul is referring to here. Things that are not God are honoring eventually lead to things that are anti-life and wind up being destructive for you and I. And Paul says we have divine power to wage war against these things, not by sitting in a lazy boy saying, oh, Jesus will take the wheel. Take every thought captive. You have to do some work, friends. Take every thought captive, lest we drift away. This is just one verse, I could keep going. We have three more verses though. And not great, the Bible's so deep, I love this stuff. Verse two, chapter two. Let's go in um, into the verse, first part of verse three. For if the message spoken by angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received this just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? So why pay such careful attention to not drift away from Jesus? And this is what he's talking to. If you remember last week, this book is written primarily to um, uh, Jewish Christians, Hebrew Christians. And um, he's referring to the, the, the times in the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, which is a part of our, of our Bibles. Um, he's referring to the law of Moses, right? If you read you know, the first five books of the Bible, you'll work yourself through the law of Moses, the Torah, and how Jewish tradition says it was through angels that when God communicated the laws to him, that it was mediated through angels, which makes sense because the word angel means messenger. So the messengers helped give this law to Moses. And if you look at this law, which is a whole, you know, kind of manual on, uh, you know, the the living life in the ancient world as God's people, um, there were blessings and curses given about if you obey, this will happen if you disobey if this will happen and so this is kind of what he's referring to i'll read some of this because the curses are very long uh beginning in deuteronomy 28 beginning in verse 15 this is after the whole law was kind of spoken about and these are the blessings and curses if you keep it and do not keep it verse 15 says if you will if if you will not obey the voice of yahweh of lord your god or be careful to do all of his commandments be careful Pay close attention. Be careful. And his statute said, I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall be you in the city. Cursed, you shall be in the field. Cursed shall be your basket, your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your womb, the fruit of your ground, the increase of your herds, the young of your flock. Cursed shall you be when you come in and cursed shall you be when you go out. And there's like 50 more verses afterwards, okay? You can go read them for yourself. Pleasant, lovely reading in the scriptures but they're there we got to wrestle with them we got to wrestle with them I say what do we do with this right now the author in the book of Hebrews says our salvation in Christ is so much greater because what was given to Moses was not the final word Christ is the final word God's previous revelation was wonderful but incomplete until Christ came and fulfilled all the law. So he says if there was a a fear that came from disobedience in that former law, which was part of God's legitimate revelation, we have a greater revelation. Shouldn't we be even more careful? Shouldn't we be even more careful in this new covenant beneath Christ? As we follow him, there's an aspect he's trying to communicate, the author's trying to communicate, a healthy fear of God. If you're, you know, uh, sometimes I hear it pretty often, right? There's this, this God of the Old Testament versus the God of the New Testament. You know, the one in the Old Testament was just. He was just angry and often kind of just smited people. But the God of the New Testament is so loving and kind. And, you know, maybe they're two different gods. Like, I don't know. But I like the God of the New Testament more than that Old Testament. Like, I hear that pretty often. But we forget the New Testament holds stories. Like Ananias and Sapphira, both presumably followers of Jesus, who suffered fatal consequences for their uh, uh, false kind of generosity pretending like you know people were selling their properties and giving everything to the church and to the poor and those who were in need and they did the same thing but they said we're going to keep just a little bit for us but we're going to tell them we sold everything just like they did too and Peter said why have you let Satan fill your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and they dropped dead We see Herod Agrippa in Acts 12, 20 through 24, standing before a crowd giving this great speech and a crowd chanting a voice from God and not of man. And what happens to Herod? The guy drops. He's dead. And actually, you know, non-Christian sources tell us of this story. And they said his body was just infested with maggots. It was a real thing, right? And so from the Bible side, we see... Okay, so God dropped him because it says he did not give glory to God. But we see there was like a pretty nasty thing going on in his body. There's a natural explanation, but then we see a peek behind the curtain. That was God's work that happened. And that's interesting because this is how this works a lot in our life. God intervenes in this world. That's the wrong word to say he intervenes because it says in the beginning of Hebrews 1, all things are sustained by him He's always at work. It's not like there's things happen. He kind of pokes his head in sometimes and works. Like he's always at work. And in our human attempts to describe what we see in this world, we have these kind of categories of natural things and we have supernatural things and that comes really from a realm of science that would say you know oh somebody you know broke their leg when they fell out of a tree all right well there's a natural explanation for how that happened okay um versus you know something more supernatural meaning there's something that occurred you know you were sick one day you know and then you go to the doctor the next day and everything's just gone that's a supernatural there's no explanation for that but really from God's perspective like those categories aren't really there He's always at work, even though we don't really see his hand and understand his hand. And sometimes his work can even be really confusing. Things can appear random, but we have to understand that everything is purposeful in God's design. As hard as that is to embrace. He is, he is sovereign. Nothing happens where he's like, oh, no, I didn't know that was going to happen. Like, it's true. He is sovereign. Things happen with purpose, as hard to understand as that is. But as we learned in chapter one, in Christ all things are being sustained by the word of his power, when we drift away from Christ into lust or addictions or greed or gluttony or living a compassionateless life, there's going to be even consequences that happen in our life because of it. There's also powers and authorities at work around us. And, and, and Paul kind of talks about it this way. He says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked whatever one sows that he will also reap the one who sows to his own flesh those you know appetites within us will reap corruption from the flesh will reap corruption the one who sows to the spirit will reap eternal life so the message here is saying don't it's 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 reap eternal life be at warning here this is not maybe the most popular kind of message for 2023 but we see that there's there's results David who drifted away um and he eventually uh committed adultery got this woman pregnant and then had her husband murdered to get away with it crazy stuff he drifted away and did the unthinkable and wrecked his life His son Solomon, who uh, fell into even more sexual chaos in his life. The list in scripture, in human history, of course, and even church history, the the list is endless of of men and women who slowly kind of drifted away from their salvation. They ignored their great salvation. We'll get to that in in a little bit. A passivity is spoken of. A passivity. But not really an ignorance, right? It's like the ship captain that says, warning. If you don't pay attention and drift too close to this part of the lane, your ship or run underground, they're like, ah, and they just kind of drift and, you know, there it is. Because now you can't even claim ignorance in this room. You heard from the scriptures. Now you can't say you're ignorant. You know. But if you just drift away, you're going to be passively falling into these things. It's described as ignoring our great salvation. It's beginning of verse 3 here. He says this is ignoring our great salvation we received. Put a pin in that. Put a mental little, put it in, set it aside. We're going to end on that. Um, but before we, we end on that, he kind of ends this, this, this part of the sermon with some what we call apologetics, a defense of the faith, okay? Because this is a way to kind of encourage them to say, this salvation you received, don't ignore it, but just remind you, this isn't just some, you know, made-up message here. This is what he says. This salvation... If you're a follower of Christ and you received him for the, even this ancient peoples here, it was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him, and God also testified it to it by signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, distributed according to his will. So, uh, as scholars have dug through this and dug through the kind of words here, I mean, there's an actual group of people who received this letter, okay, um, and he know, whoever wrote this letter knows who those people are. And he's addressing real things. These people probably, kind of like you and I, they never saw Jesus walk this earth. They never heard him as he literally walked this earth. They were kind of the second-hand Christians. They heard another testimony. But he says, you got to first realize the Lord didn't announce this. But later... It was confirmed by those who heard him. Who did hear him? Well, the apostles heard him. Lots of other early Christians heard him. Many people heard Jesus as he walked about through his life. Also, as he rose from the dead, there was 500 people who saw his resurrection. So there's plenty of witnesses that went about in the ancient world telling people what they saw with their own eyes. More than likely, um, there wasn't many of those And the people who received this letter. So he's saying, you know, nevertheless, you've heard the stories. You've heard their witness. You've heard the teachings of Jesus. This is confirming the salvation that you have received. And then he says in verse 4, he says, God also testified to it by signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, distributed according to his will. Now, pay attention to. I know this isn't high school, you know, grammar or whatever, but there's a past tense to all of this. Past tense meaning the author's pointing to yesterday was already happened, announced by the Lord in the past, confirmed by those past. He testified past, right, um, through signs, wonders, and miraculous gifts. So, still presently, sometimes in our life, God gives us like that confirmation. That this salvation we received is real, right? And that his, his hand, his, his active hand is actually still presently working in our life. I remember i have so many stories as if you follow jesus for some length of time you'll you'll gather your own stories right um we, we were driving this 20 year old suburban um these are the dark days when we had like two dollars to our name right it was rough hard times and and our transmission went out on our suburban and it was like a three thousand dollar bill and we we're like i ain't got three thousand dollars i ain't got nothing that's our only car what do we do kid you not That Sunday morning, somebody at our church that I was working at said, the Lord put it on my heart to write to you a $3,000 check, right? Now that happens. Like it does. Does it happen all the time? No, but it happens. And it was just that confirmation of like, God, you you love me. Like you really do care. And you provided for me again. Thank you. It's just that boost to say, Lord, I'm going to keep doing this because, you know, I was broke because we were trying to start a brand new church. And there's no money in that. And I knew the sacrifice was worth it. And I said, Lord, this is worth it. That church is still here today in Jersey, you know, so many years later. Like, it was worth it. Now this is the confirmation I needed. But he's not talking about present tense stuff, which is interesting. He's not saying right now God may confirm that. He does. He may. What he's actually talking about is what's already happened. What already happened in the past. Right? Look at the book of Acts. You're going to see amazing miracles happening. Supernatural stuff that have already happened. These stories, I'm sure, had been circulating all amongst the early church. And he's saying, you've heard those stories. It's already been confirmed, this work of God through Jesus Christ. Right? Announced by the Lord Jesus. Confirmed by those who heard him. And God, the Father, testifying through it, through his spirit, through these supernatural works. And he's, he, he doesn't use the word Faith okay we'll get to uh the theme of faith is really heavy in the book of hebrews there's a famous chapter 11 of the hall of fame of you know faith right but but the word faith isn't used but that's what he's saying this is all stuff these people hadn't seen with their own eyes but only heard that you have also heard if you've read the scriptures and heard of these testimonies Remember what you have heard how God had confirmed these things in the past even 2,000 years removed the question before us is when you read those stories do you just read them as like the good Sunday school Bible stories like oh yeah you know Peter and you know he, 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 he grabbed that guy's hand who hadn't walked his whole life and the guy walked and that's a nice story you know and at, you know in Acts chapter 4 at the gate of the beautiful gate and that's a, that's a great story or you say There was a guy, well, you know, advanced in age, who everybody saw for many, many years, lame, who when that book was written, would have been like, I remember that guy. And he walked when there's no way he could have. And that actually happened. And that really occurred, it broke into our world. And you're reading about it, what are you gonna do with that? What do you do with that? Jesus rose from the dead. It's a crazy story. He broke out of a grave. Like he was really super dead. Like really dead. And he walked out of a grave and there's witnesses saying, I saw somebody who died walking around and he was alive. What are you going to do with that? That's the salvation you've received. And he's saying be built up in this. Know that it's real. Bec- this is conf- a confirmed word. This isn't some fairy tale. Doubt can really be one of the major pathways of drifting away. Doubt can be one of the major pathways of drifting away. The slow path of doubt. Just reading and being familiar with the message of Christ, just being like, yeah, you know, yeah, I, I know the things he taught. I know those stories. Yeah, you know. Or sometimes you read it and you're like, yeah, Jesus gave a lot of good advice. Or maybe you accepted a message of Christianity as like, you know, Jesus died for you in order in order to just gift you with a hell insurance card, and you're like, I'm good. He died for me and gave me a package of my hell insurance card. So, you know, when I die I'll be able to say, Nope, ain't going there. Here's the card. He paid for me, then I'm good. Like is that the message you received? That's a very passive way of following Jesus and you should have the red danger lights going off if that's you. That's not going to go well for you. Luke 12, when Jesus was talking about this parable, I won't read it all, but there's a man who's kind of passively living his life trying to follow God and he said, you gotta wake up because now your soul is required of you. This world is in need of you as an ambassador of Christ. It's not time to drift away. When Jesus, more often than not, the words eternal life, they're not in the future tense. They're in the present tense. When Jesus said in John 3:36, he who believes in the Son, I, I know almost every face in this room right now, you guys believe in the Son, has, not will have, has eternal life. He's talking about now. And so this life that we've received in Christ, the salvation we've received in him that's been confirmed by all these things that's happened already, not to even count the things that he still does today, he's not saying just receive the salvation. This warning is saying, are you experiencing the salvation? Like, are you really living in it? Are you experiencing this or is it just a card tucked away in your pocket for some day in the future when you have breathed your last like I'm good or like, are you really living this and experiencing the salvation that has been gifted to you in Christ? Some of you need some rekindling of your faith this morning. Maybe God could give you a sign today like that miraculous $3,000 check when our trans read out. Maybe so. But I don't think you need that right now. Because we have so many instances of already testified, miracles in scripture, that even if you're saying, God, I just need a miracle right now, he's already, he's given so many, wake up, see them. Let that word confirm it. He may intervene in your life in an amazing way, but he's done so with so many women, women, men and women throughout history and the scriptures take confirmation from that. He's still at work today. That could be enough for you, even this morning. And so I wanna land on a a positive question, right? Kind of the flip side, this is a warning passage, and so I hope the warning has kind of set in this morning, but let's ask the question that when I was preparing uh, for this sermon that the Lord impressed in my heart, which just derailed my whole sermon prep, which is in a good way, right? Because I just couldn't shape the question. What would it look like for you to not ignore your salvation? that's how this phrase up here, right? What would it look like for you, for every single one of you in this room, to not ignore your salvation? Now listen, we all share a common mission, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, to make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, to teach them to observe all that Jesus has commanded them. That's for all of us, okay? So at minimum, yeah, like that's, uh, that's what it means to not ignore our salvation we received is to carry that forward. But there's something more specific though because we're all individuals whom God's fingerprints are all over. As we all know, fingerprints are all different from one another. You're, have, you have God's fingerprints all over you. You're not like me. That's really good. I'm not like you either. That's really good for this church that we're all just not like these mono people all like each other. And that's God's design that all of us are here and the variety that we are in this room. And listen to how Paul talks about this question of not ignoring our salvation. He says, uh, Philippians 2, verse 12 through 13, he says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work it out. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Like the author of Hebrews says, don't ignore your salvation policy. And you got to work this out. You received it, start living in it and start working it out in your own life. Even with fear, even in trembling, knowing the grand work of God in this world and says, the good news is being spread through you. Say, I have a part to play in that. Paul says, yeah, tremble, be in fear, right? This is a big deal, but God has gifted you with a spirit to say it's time to start working these things out in your life and so the question i want to end with this morning is what would it look like for you to work out your own salvation and not ignore it when's the last time you prayed a prayer like that i mean truthfully said lord thank you for dying for my sins thank you for being you know raising from the dead and giving us the spirit to give us new life even now. And a future eternal heaven, you know, f- f- dwelling in heaven with you. Thank you, Lord. But Lord, what does it look like right now to work that out? In this life you have given me. Because when we become Christians, if it was all about going to heaven, he would have just like psh, snapped you up that minute that you became a Christian. Says, oh, that's it. Psh, done. Psh, psh. He doesn't do that. We're baptized. I remember one time we were at the beach and we baptized somebody. And like he, he was so thrilled and he got out of the water and he was soaking wet and it was really cold. This was, was like November probably and it was, it was funny. And he was like, what? What, what happens now? Like just like, I'm ready. You know, what, what happens now? When has that spirit like been in you? How do I work this out? I'm telling you, if there's, there's some things where we can just give with an absolute guaranteed yes and amen. This will definitely happen. This is a word for your pastor this morning that says this will happen. If you pray that prayer, the Holy Spirit's going to be saying, oh yeah, I've been waiting for this prayer. Do you mean it? Are you, you really mean it? Because I'm, I'm ready. I want to share with you, like, you're wired and gifted with certain things that I have given you. Are you ready to work this out? You live in a place where there's most people don't know me. And you go to a church where other people that are gifted too. Like, are you ready? Let's work this out. I am so ready for you to pray that. That's what the Holy Spirit would tell you if you prayed that. Maybe it's your, you know, uh, or your hospitality that you've always wanted. To, I want to open my home up. Like, I've never really done it as I could. Like, I want to share just my house with people and feed people and just, you know, have my doors open. Do it. Now, now's the time. Work out your salvation, right? Maybe it's prayers. Like I see people up here praying sometimes. I've always wanted to learn how to pray and go and go deeper and like just live a deeper life of prayer. Great. We're having prayer training coming up. Like take the step and start working these things out in your life. Maybe it's loving and serving children or caring for the orphan. I was just crushed as I went to uh, AdoptionUSA.com and just saw thousands of just pairs of siblings six seven eight 19 years old just without a family and I'm like Lord can I have nine children instead of six like can we do this right now like I was so ready to adopt all of them right like, well, what is the Lord stirring in your heart? How are you, would, would you work this out, right? Is it a deeper investment in your kids or grandchildren's walk with Christ? Maybe it's, we had a phone call from Urban Promise this week saying we, we have so many kids who need mentoring. Uh, anybody in your church wants to mentor a teenager who has no father or a mother figure and is in desperate need of mentorship. Maybe that's how you're gonna work it out. There's just endless opportunities to be an ambassador for Christ right here where we are. Are you willing to pray? Pray for that. Um, uh, there's, there's two things I want to mention, right? Uh, and just as we close here, and I want to have something unique that I want to do. Um, some of you may pray this and legitimately feel this call to just pick up and move to, I don't know, Maui, right? Um, Mal- Malawi, excuse me, or some international place where, you know, God's work is present. He's like, I want, I want you to sell everything, quit your job and move across the country. Like that could happen to people who say, I want to work this out. Maybe that's you. Or maybe you're like the man in Mark 5 who was healed from just all these demons and he said, Lord, can I follow you and go to the ends of the earth with you? And what did Jesus say to him? Actually, no. I want you to go back home among your own people. I want you to go there and tell them all that God has done for you. So maybe it's not picking up and going to Africa. Maybe it's going to your neighbors, your family, and really working out your salvation among them. Or like Phoebe in Romans 16.1, we saw a few weeks back, spent a lot of money to go on a risky trip outside of our own country for the sake of Jesus or even grander scales, like William Wilberforce in the 1700s, he was a member of parliament, became a Christian, almost resigned but all of his friends, including a man named John Newton, who was a pastor, who was, he wrote the famous song Amazing Grace himself, used to have a career on the slave trading ship He said, Wilberforce, stay where you are as a follower of Jesus because you need to end the slave trade. He spent his whole life taking that risk and upon his deathbed, as he breathed his last, it came to him and said it passed in parliament, the first ever nation in the history of the world to actually outlaw slavery. And that was how he worked out his salvation. I don't know what God has for you, but I want you to be serious if you're willing to pray that prayer. So right now, I want to ask you to do something crazy. Maybe nobody comes up, and that's totally fine. But if you're hearing this, and you're like, I, I want to pray that, you can stay seated, or I want to ask you to even come up right now. If something is being stirred in you, can you come up right now? We want to pray for you. We want to cultivate that, if that's stirring in your heart.